Games publishing has always been a bit of a funny business. In fact, publishing of any kind has always been a little tricky, more so however for games. It's an industry which constantly flows and ebbs, rapidly responding to the expectations and requirements of its audience. Like any other creative industry, literature, music, movies, TV et al, publishing requires two main elements, A, the content, and B, the audience for that content. And, as in any other creative forms, publishing is not creation, it is, in fact, facilitation. The creatives do the work, and the publishers deal with the logistics, the marketing, and the rest. That said, however, gaming does fall under a slightly different category. Technology gets exponentially better every year, which then fuels the gaming industry to make better, more immersive experiences. That, in turn, feeds back into the wider technological pool, and one could argue that the advancement in video game technology has been more impactful on society than any other industry. From AI learning to applications of VR and AR, a lot of modern-day technology has some connection to gaming. The way we game and the number of games that are available to us across the variety of platforms today is something that didn't even exist 10 years ago. As a result, we've seen a huge jump and advancement in the publishing model. Simon Byron, head of publishing at UK-based indie publisher Curve Digital, outlines the way in which the publishing model has changed over the years he's been in the industry and how indie publishing has had to evolve. I'm Simon Byron. I'm the publishing director at Curve. The market's moved so fast that I think that um, the type of games that we uh, made our name for, um, it's, such, it's such a crowded market now that... Um, uh, sort of 2D puzzle platformers, which you know I think are entirely valid, um, you know, a fantastic genre. I really need to do something very, very special to stand out. Simon also makes it clear that it's not money that they're competing for as publishers now, but something much more valuable. Yeah, it's true to say, you know, back in the old days, you were you were competing for people's uh, money basically, uh, and now. Uh, there's so much out there that, that you're competing for people's time, which is much more valuable. So, so absolutely, you know, people are overwhelmed with with content. I think the way that people buy and play and um, support their their games has changed so much o- over the years. Gary Penn, one of the oldest, most respected, and still serving members of the games industry, started out as a games journalist in the 1980s. He's a founder of Denki, an indie studio that was behind the recently highly acclaimed Autonauts. Penn has been on the inside. He was at the heart of games development back in the day, working on some iconic titles including Grand Theft Auto, Lemmings and Checkpoint's revered Crackdown, the original. He tells me how, when he joined DMA Design, it was chaos when it came to publishing games. Having worked in magazines, he brought his skill set to publishing and helped get games out on time and finished. He also learned how important the process of making a game was. We're right at the heart of this, this incredible, I mean, we're talking bigger than nuclear type explosion in terms of, of the effect it's had. Um, you realize how uh, close these things are to never happening, um, how tiny little events um, can, can, and tiny, you know, sing, single simple decisions that have no obvious bearing can can radically change the way this shit happens. So. Yeah, and you and you look at it and you go, I don't understand how this ever happened because it, it, the 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 tolerance on this not happening was so fine um, that that you can't believe it ever happened, but it did happen. That's the point. 
But after DMA was initially acquired to later become Rockstar North, there were a group of people that wanted to work on the new and rising and hardly untouched platforms. This was the starting point for Penn's love affair with new and exciting platforms. Fast forward a couple of decades later and Autonauts is in the works. For someone who'd been working in games for some time, he was able to put it out there but it was when the game started getting traction that it became harder to manage, especially trying to get it to new audiences across the multitude of new platforms that now exist. It's not too dissimilar to the 70s and 80s, he tells me. It's the same shit that was going on in the 70s and 80s when I was growing up, where you had everyone you knew seemed to be making games in their bedroom, but of course there was no uh, social means of sharing these things. And, th and that's been the significant shift, is, is people, in terms of being able to share these ideas, uh, and also what happens is it propagates and, and, and the ideas mutate much faster because of this. Uh, so things like, yeah, you know, app stores and, and middleware uh, and the, the fact that you're not dealing in lower level languages so much. Uh, it's much easier to make a game than it ever used to be. It's much easier to be seen. It's much easier to share. Of course, there are loads of other side effects that come with that, but that's not the point. The point being, it's, it's made it a really mundane thing, which is fantastic. And because there are so many platforms and so many ways to get your content out there, it's never been easier to make games and set them out in the wild. Simon Byron from Curve Digital. I, I, I genuinely believe that it's never been a better time for content creators and that there's a wealth of new platforms and services, you know, from, from hardware to streaming, etc. that but there is still the problem of making your game visible. It's all fair and good that there are multiple platforms out there, but if people can't find your game or don't know that it exists, then you may as well not have put the game out there at all. Penn tells me he'd gone through some crowdfunding campaigns, but it wasn't really producing the results he and his partner hoped it would. He wasn't looking for funding for development, but he was looking for a publishing partner that would be excited by Autonauts. Penn knew that the marketing element of the game was a full-time job. He therefore took the game down to develop in Brighton, an annual game developers conference, and bumped into Simon Byron, who'd not long been at Curve. So we were down at the develop conference a couple, about two and a half years ago, and um, he showed me what he was working on. And um, you know, back then he was he was umming and ahhing about the best route to you know, what he was going to do. Was he going to do a Kickstarter? Whether he was funding, etc. And so I showed, I didn't show Simon officially, Simon Byron uh, officially uh, as such. It was more a case of, oh, I'm down at um, Develop and we've got this thing. And he said, oh, cool. Oh, I'd love to see that. So I, I think we just, I just dropped by. And he showed me it and I thought, God, this is incredible. You know, the way I think we, we spent over an hour, hour and a half just discussing the, the possibilities that you'd be able to do in this, you know, ridiculously ambitious game that he was creating and his little face when he saw it was was brilliant so of all the people we showed you know the, the sort of classic publisher poker faces and like, yeah, it was a, uh, interesting okay yeah okay but simon's little face he didn't say very much he just sat there going <laughs> and he was like a little kid at christmas it was brilliant um and he was really enamored by as far as we got with the game and what our plans for the game and what we're going to do with it and he, and he showed me as a sort of made to make really and then Towards the end of it, I was like, look, you know, we're, we're friends and all that, a bit, and this feels a bit odd, but like, should we talk like business? Like, you know, is there a, is there a potential yeah. to work together here? And um, we, we, we kept talking. So I think it, it took us, it took us over a year to, to go from that meeting to signing the contract. We were working with Gary, just make sure that um, we had a, a, a proper idea about where the game was going to go because there was so much in it. 
Penn and Byron go back a long way, and the decision for Autonauts to be published was partly due to the fact that that relationship was so strong. But Byron makes it clear that it was important that Penn was happy, like all of the games and all of the developers they support, with Curve's input. For us at Curve, it's 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 absolutely about demonstrating that we want to come along as part of that 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 journey and really really work with the game creators to build up that demand at launch and then support them for the weeks, months, years to follow. You know, we're actively working on games that we published four or five years ago, still finding new things for them to do. Curve has also been able to expand its operations in recent years. With the acquisition of the company by the Catalis Group, it allowed Curve to not only publish games, but to also help fund development of games it thought had potential. One game that's benefited from Curve's financial support and ability to pay for the development costs is Echo Chambers' Table Manners. It's a new physics-based dating game, yes, dating game, to be released on Steam early next year. Table Manners was thought up at a games jam, a gathering of coders that team up and create a playable game with a specific brief within a time limit, usually 48 hours. Table Manners' producer, Tim Lewis, tells me how he and a group of friends had been doing game jams for some time, but it wasn't until they built the precursor of Table Manners that they noticed that it became become popular, attracting over 8 million hits in just a week after being uploaded. My name's Tim Lewis. Um, I'm a producer and programmer on Table Manners uh, at Echo Chamber Games. Yeah, so so the after, after we saw that, we were all super excited and, and we thought, well, well, maybe we should actually start looking to take this further. Um, we should like we should uh, see what the next steps are. First off, we wanted to take take what the project was, and we wanted to make it a new one. We knew that one was a game jam, um, and and we knew that like a uh, it the i the idea had been um, really interesting, and we knew that the idea had a uh, um, really uh, inspired us to, to like to really find the fun in it. But we knew we want, if, if we were going to do it as, as a real project, we wanted, we wanted to do it new and better. Um, so what we what we what we did next is we we uh we took the inspiration from that game jam and we came up with a, a new project which became Table Manners. Um, and we started looking at actually what our options were to, to actually make it into a full game. We knew that like, uh, we knew that we'd all, all uh, we all were working full time um, for companies. So we didn't have that much time. Uh, we knew that uh, um, our, our, our evenings and weekends probably wasn't going to cut it to make an actual really good game. And so we just, we decided we, we, we all wanted to take the risk and try and see if we could, um, set up set up a, uh, a new company with this new game. A brave move indeed, but the similarities between Denki, headed by veteran Penn, and Echo Chambers, a newly formed studio, are striking. Despite being worlds apart in experience, both found it hard to identify and reach their respective audiences. Granted, Table Manners is yet to be released, but Autonauts had been out in the wild for some time before Curve got involved, and Penn had tried different ways to reach audiences. It's a full-time job doing all this stuff, um, and you need someone to handle, um, the, the, not just talking to the community, but also extracting the information from the community and acting on that information. Lewis agrees, iterating Penn's sentiment. We knew how to make a really good game. But we didn't have the funding for that. We didn't. We didn't have um, the expertise in marketing. We didn't have. Um, we didn't have all the other systems in place that require that, like a company requires to make a good game. We were essentially just uh, just um, um, some devs, um, some some, de some developers, sorry. And we needed to fill everything else. So Curve, um, they they've funded the project. So that so um, all of our our salaries and our rent gets paid because they they uh, they they fund it for us. Um, they handle all of our marketing. Um, 
so and because uh realistically if, we, if we're trying to make the best game we can then we also we don't have the time as well to uh, be doing lots of, of marketing things and all of that they handle all the things like um, localization quality assurance um all the testing um so really they, they've they've been really vital to us to like fill in all the gaps that we can't do the support of a publisher and the relationship with platform holders can also greatly benefit developers. Byron, using Human Fall Flat as an example, explains how taking some risks can reap massive rewards, risks that maybe individuals or self-publishers may not take. Referring to Human Fall Flat on Microsoft Games Pass, Byron tells us it was a decision that has really paid off. We were very, very early supporters of um, Xbox Game Pass and uh, a lot of people at the time were like, you know, well, you know, isn't, isn't including your games as part of a subscription package, you know, effectively giving them away, is that harmful? For us, um, we're all about experimentation. So we're, we're always trying to get involved in new initiatives. But... What we saw with Game Pass um, very, very early on was that far from cannibalise our audience, actually, uh, we it was it was giving us more attention. And you know, counterintuitively, we'd see um, games involved in Game Pass actually selling more on Xbox than they were on other on other titles. Which um, you know, purely because we were creating this groundswell of people playing them. So taking risks does pay off, but also being part of a wider publishing group may have benefits for your mental health. Tim Lewis. Uh, if there was ever a time when things like seemed like they were, they were like um, they were they were there was too much, or we were overscoping, or we were, we were trying to make too much too, too big of a game, and and we were we were going to end up working into like our our evenings or weekends. Um, oft, often curve would would uh, say, well, let's reduce it a little bit. Let's um, let's make the best game we can, but let's not have you guys uh, burning out. It's the quality then of the publisher, the relationship they build, and the security and freedom it offers its talent. Find the right publisher and you'll find an audience and the support you need when you need it. Long gone are the days of the big publishers. Some of the best games over the last 10 years have come from indie developers and with platform holders competing for buying and promoting indie games exclusive to their platforms, the world of games development is certainly ripe for taking. So with this in mind, I went back to Simon and I asked him where he thought the future of the industry of publishing at least was going. Where's the industry going? I don't know. It's it's never been easier to make games, and I think it's never been harder to launch them, given how many games are coming out all all, all the time. Um, you know, there will obviously be casualties, but as long as you're delivering things that are fun, that are you know that are streamable, that are making people uh, laugh and happy to play, I think that there will always be an audience for the for those types of games. And there will always be an audience for those self-publishing too. Self-publishing is just a little bit more difficult. And if you have the time and you have the resources, then there's no reason for it not to work. We've seen some great success stories with self-publishing, but generally speaking, it's always good to have another member of the team. A good friend of mine and a business associate once said to me, it's much better to have a smaller slice of a massive pie than it is to have a massive piece of a tiny pie. That stayed with me. And I think there's something to be said about working with a team, especially with a team that knows what and who your audience is and how to reach them. This programme was presented by Tamaras Fahani and produced by Magduce Media Limited for Checkpoint magazine. The track is called Special Days by JGen and is available on Audio Library release. Music is provided by Audio Library Plus.